I'm turning this evening to the book of Hosea, the prophet Hosea, and chapter 14. Hosea chapter 14, verse 1. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words, and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, Take away all iniquity, and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Our title is The Only Valid Approach to God. And Hosea, the first of the so-called minor prophets following the book of Daniel, Hosea wrote these words around 710 BC, just a dozen years after the fall of Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom, the ten northern tribes of Israel, and it had been sacked by the Assyrians and destroyed. Now Hosea preached in the north, in that territory. Many, many thousands of Israelites from the north had been taken into captivity and spread round the conquering empire, but many were left. And Hosea, and also his contemporary Amos, preached to them in the north. For perspective, at the same time, the prophet Isaiah was preaching down in the south in Judah, which still stood as a kingdom. So here is Hosea, and here is his great appeal to souls. One of the most significant things is that you can study this appeal that Hosea makes to the people to turn to God and to be converted, and you immediately notice that it is exactly the same message and exactly the same appeal as you find throughout the Bible. What Hosea preached 700 years before Christ is exactly the same as that which you find in the New Testament books which follow Christ. It's unchanging as it is from the beginning, from the very oldest books of the Bible, the book of Job actually probably being the oldest of all, to the very last book in the Bible. Though inspired by God over to many spokesmen over a period of some 1,600 years, it is amazing how there are these great cables run through the Bible and the message never changes. The Bible is all about the Son of God, Christ, prophesying him, recording his coming, talking about him and the blessings he brings. It's all about salvation, conversion to God. It's always the same essential message. And that is amazing. There's no literature like this in the world, aside from the Bible. There's nothing so consistent, so astonishing in its structure and its integrity. Well, here are the words of Hosea, and let us look at them this evening. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God. Just one or two comments of background. Why did Samaria fall? Why was the northern kingdom of Israel 
conquered. Why did God allow it after so many centuries of giving the, those people so much protection? Why did he allow their enemies to sweep over them in the northern kingdom and take them? I just turn back to chapter 4 and verse 6. Hosea says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They have become ignorant of their scriptures, ignorant of God and his holiness and his requirements and the way in which he should be worshipped. They were completely ignorant of these things because thou hast rejected knowledge. So it was worse than ignorance. It was willful. They had stopped hearing and listening. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. They were supposed to be God's representatives. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. And we could look at one or two other verses that tell us much the same thing. In chapter 7, I, I read this from verse 2. They consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings have beset them about. They, their wickedness and their sins, are before my face. It was right in the blatantly in the face of God that they worshipped idols and they rejected their God. And we could look at other passages too, but time is short. Chapter 8, verse 14, For Israel hath forgotten his maker and buildeth temples, false religion, and Judah hath multiplied fenced cities. Judah in the south hadn't fallen yet. But they were, as it were, shaking a fist at God and insulting him because they were relying on their own wits for their defense against their enemies and refusing to call upon God and to pray. And so because of that, they would, after so many centuries of patience, come under judgment. And the time would come when God would take away his hand of protection and they would be overrun. But in the meantime, and this is important for us tonight, God was still appealing to them. And these are the words of chapter 14 and verse 1. Oh, Israel. Let's briefly look at these words. They begin with that little word, Oh, Israel. It's a tremendous exclamation of feeling. It's similar, but not quite the same, in the original Hebrew. It's a different sound, but it has much the same purpose. It's an emotional exclamation of pity and sympathy. Oh, Israel. If it were just Israel, the time for judgment has come. That would be one thing. But the voice of God chooses to say sympathetically and longingly and earnestly, Oh, Israel, the heart of God is ever ready to be kind and to be forgiving, if only they would turn. Oh, Israel. And then the next key word is this word, return unto the Lord. How do you 
seek God. How do you come to him? Well, it isn't by trying to do something to please him, good works of some sort, or earning his favor. That's not what the prophet says. He doesn't say, oh Israel, mend your ways, pull your socks up, be a thousand times better, attend the temple and the synagogues, continue to worship, help one another, do good things and God will be pleased with you. Too late for all that. They've offended him. They can't undo the wrong they've done. They've sinned away their years and they've got to be punished. God is holy and he's pledged to punish sin. So what is the word? Return. Not do something. Not work. Not try to earn favor. Just return. That's all you can do. Return to the Lord. He's going to tell you what it means as he goes on. Return unto the Lord thy God. It goes no higher than that. It becomes more dramatic as it goes. And this is why they must return. For thou art fallen. Samaria had fallen. The nation had fallen. Was it the Syrians who'd done it? Well, yes, immediately, but behind that, it was God that allowed it to happen. Thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Your sins have caused you to fall. And that's the situation with us. If the soul is asleep and we've no communion with God and we've never had his gracious power and work in our lives and we do not walk with him and pray to him and prove him, if he's never changed us, then we're fallen. The Hebrew is tottered, leading to collapse. In other words, you've tottered and fallen to the ground. You've completely lost the ability to stand. Of course, it's illustrated language. It means in the presence of God, you can't stand up. You're under his condemnation. You don't know him. And in this world, as somebody who does not walk with God, you're on your own and you're confused very often and you're tottering and you will ultimately fall to sickness and to death and life will be a failure. For thou art fallen by thine iniquity. Iniquity translates the Hebrew word which literally means twistedness or perversion if you want it in more sophisticated form, you've fallen by your twistedness. Sin has such a hold on you that it's twisted you. We don't just tell lies, we become liars, bent and twisted. We're not just proud, we're twisted with it. We can't shake it off, we can't stop being proud. We can't stop being selfish. We can't stop being bad-tempered. So the strong word is used. You've fallen by your twistedness, says Hosea. So what's his counsel to us? How are we to approach God if we're 
sinners in his sight, and we cannot earn his favour. Verse 2. These words are so valuable to us. Take with you words. There is an illustration lying behind this form of words. Take with you words. Imagine in olden times there are two kingdoms. One is very powerful. One is much weaker. But they are in dispute. And bad blood is spilt and they're against each other. And uh, it's going to come out off the worse for the smaller kingdom. The smaller kingdom wants to uh, get back onto good relationships with the larger neighbor. And wants to make uh, contact. So the king of the smaller kingdom sends an ambassador to the court of the larger kingdom to open discussion to try to smooth the way to better relations and trade and well-being and mutual regard. And that ambassador in the ancient world would take with him a gift. It wouldn't be a token gift. It would be something very valuable, something worth a considerable amount would be conceded, perhaps a chunk of territory, perhaps gold and silver or whatever, a homage sum. But he would take a very considerable gift. And that's the language that Hosea uses. Take with you something. Well, what are you going to take when you pray to God? When you open this dialogue with God? What are you going to present him? We've already said you can't please him. You can't bribe him. He has everything. He made everything. Everything you possess is actually his. So what are you going to take? Take with you, and here's the surprise, words. That's all you've got. Words. In other words, you can do nothing other than pray. Take with you words to say to God, and you better mean them. And you better be sincere and humble. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. What words, Hosea? What words? He supplies them. Take away all iniquity. Take away my sin. Lord, Take away my guilt, the guilt for everything I've ever done which is offensive to God, everything I've ever said. If I think about it, it's a burden too big to measure or contemplate. All my life, every year, every month, every day, every minute, sins of all kinds, And they've all accrued a massive debt of guilt which will bring me to eternal condemnation. You've only got words. Oh, Lord, and we hang our heads. Take away my iniquity. Remove it. 
How can he do that? He is holy. He is pledged to punish sin. So how can he take it away? Only by taking it himself. You know, I'm sure, I hope you do, that that is exactly what Christ did. The Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, entered into this world and became a man, our representative. He became the God-man. He never ceased to be God, and he assumed human personality and body in order that he could be crucified on Calvary's cross where God the Father would put upon him all the guilt, the accrued mass of guilt of all those who would ever be forgiven and ask for his forgiveness. And God smote him in an indescribable way instead of them so that God in Christ purchased the right to forgive us he's borne away the guilt of all who call upon him say unto him take away all iniquity do we not have to pay anything no the next petition is Receive us graciously. That means receive us with great favor. In other words, receive us freely. Forgive us as a favor. What a favor. A massive, massive favor. A favor so valuable, it delivers us from punishment and brings us to heaven the suffering and death of Christ, who consciously suffered an indescribable pain and punishment and separation from the Father in order that we may go free if we believe in him. Take away all iniquity and receive us freely because we've nothing to pay. We've no goodness to offer. We've no currency for this we just go on our knees receive us what words they are receive us welcome us with open arms embrace us take us to yourself make us your children be our deliverer our heavenly father our guide our ruler our owner Receive us freely. So will we render the calves of our lips. That sounds very awkward. What are the calves of our lips? They are the bullocks that they would normally have offered as sacrifices. But as a figure of speech, Hosea says, the bullocks of our lips the sacrificial offerings of our lips. In other words, it's no good offering bullocks on the altar to secure forgiveness. It's repentance before God. 
and trusting in Christ, and then you can praise him. The sacrifices of your lips take away all iniquity, receive us freely, so will we render the worship and the commitment of our lips that we shall express. Just a few moments, dear friends. Verse 3, Asher shall not save us. The Assyrian gods are conquerors. They cannot save us. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. We will abandon all idols to show our sincerity. For in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. They must give up their idols, their false worship. What about you and I? We were thinking of this only in recent weeks. We have many idols, possessions, items of clothing, various things, various ambitions that become idols. Some ambitions can be good and wholesome, but they can become idols. We're living for this world. We're living for ourselves. We're living for what pleases us in the here and now. We trust in these things. These things are everything to us. They've become our gods. We'll pay anything for them. Any amount of effort. No. Find your satisfaction in the living God. Turn to him. Trust in him. Give yourself to him. That's what it means. So, says Hosea, tell God we will not trust in idols, whether things that people make as gods or whether in this unbelieving world they're all the things we idolize in this world. For in thee, the fatherless, findeth mercy. 150, 200 years ago in London, there were thousands of fatherless boys and girls on the streets. Some of them were not literally fatherless, they were abandoned. But they would, you know, uh, the history, I'm quite sure, they would sleep under carts and in all sorts of places. They were ragged, they were emaciated and thin. Some of them would get work selling matches and shining shoes and so on, but most of them could get no work and they were just reduced to stealing and making out as they could. And everywhere you went, there were homeless people. And so Christian people set up homes for the young. There were, in Victorian times, a huge number in London. And some very famous to this day. And they would take in destitute boys or girls, depending on who they were catering for, and clothe them, and feed them, and educate them. And all kinds of extraordinary things were done before the state began to take over and give relief and so on. But before that happened, it was only the churches who would help. And this is the illustration here, really, 
In thee, the fatherless, findeth mercy. You may not have thought of yourself as a waif and stray, as a homeless child, but in the sight of God you are. You're like a, an orphan or abandoned, neglected, homeless child. You don't belong to God. You're a spiritual stray. You're in rags before God, waiting for the day of judgment. No clothing of character and holiness. You're starving. You don't understand the word of God. The message of God means nothing to you. You don't have any direction, guidance, comfort, strength from God's revelation and message. Your soul is starving and unfed. You're ignorant of these things, uneducated, scrambling about, trying to survive. But you come to God with the prayer of Hosea, take away my guilt and my sin, work a work in my life, bring me to thyself, help me and save me freely, I have nothing to bring, nothing to pay. And then you find in thee the fatherless findeth mercy, translates the same favour word, all the kindness of a heavenly father. And this is God's reply to such a prayer. Verse 4, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. No more condemnation. God is with you and for you. I will be as the Jew unto Israel, the Jew that comes every morning, every day of your life, you will be helped by God and blessed by him. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon, like a forest tree. You'll become a person of depth and of influence because God will give you a new life. And you'll have influence because you can pray to him for people that they will be saved also and forgiven and given a new life and a new nature. Verse 6, his branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. And it illustrates us. You'll have a new nature, a new character, all things that were wrong with you will be mightily improved as God works in your life in a tremendous way when you're converted to him and then more and more and more as life goes on and he prepares you for eternal glory and you become increasingly unselfish and generous-hearted and self-controlled and filled with love and good motives, and inclinations, and longings, and your tastes are mightily improved, 
And people say, he's much better than he used to be. She is a wonderful person now by comparison with what she was. And you have all the beauty that is described here in graphic and kind of uh, uh, agricultural terms. But I come to the last verse. Verse 9, who is wise? And he shall understand these things. Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them. But the transgressors shall fall therein. Dear friends, these are the words that never change through the Bible. O Israel, if I could substitute your name for Israel, imagine God calling to you personally. We call it the call of Christ. Hear the feeling and the passion in his voice. Oh, Israel, return. That's all you can do unto the Lord thy God. For thou hast fallen, tottered and fallen away from God by thine iniquity, twistedness. Take with you words. Wonderful message. Take with you words. As I said before, it's all you've got. Take words to God. Lord, forgive me. Lord, receive me. Lord, take me up like a father to an orphan. Lord, change me. Be my God through life all the way to eternal glory. And receive me freely, graciously. I have nothing with which to pay. That's the call of God through Hosea. 700 years before Christ came. To seal the work. To die on Calvary. To pay the price so that all sinners from the beginning of the world to the Lord's coming again, all sinners who repent could be forgiven. May you be among that great company. Let's pray together. Lord, look upon us all and shake our hearts and speak to us and call us to thyself and let us not rest until we have come to thee and yielded to thee. O oh Lord, we pray that nothing may erase the call of Christ from our minds, write it in our hearts, and draw us to thyself. We ask it in our Saviour's name, for his sake. Amen.